All right. Well, it is the month of October, and it is Missions Emphasis Month. And by the way, what amazing ministry. We have ministries just like that all over the world. Let me give you an update on Rachel's husband, Jeremy. Rachel and Jeremy also look after our college ministry, and he had a very extensive surgery this week, about 12 hours. And uh, he is at Cleveland Clinic, and I just checked on him. He's in a lot of pain, has some nausea. Uh, but, so be praying for him and uh, uh, that he'll have a quick and speedy recovery, and we can get him back home. And uh, so it is Missions Emphasis Month, and we're still in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, and we're going to finish that book, uh, well, not all of it today, but close, and uh, so I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter two, that's where we're going to be. Now, this is what's, what's amazing, Missions Emphasis Month is, is just a, an expression of the every minute of every day heartbeat of God. You see, God is a missional God. Uh, from, from the creation of the world, his mission was to create someone in the image of himself that looked like us. The image then gets broken not long after creation. God has a redemptive plan because he's missional. And so in his plan, he established a way that sinful mankind could find forgiveness and redemption uh, and relationship back with him. And so ultimately, that was completed through Jesus, his son, about 2,000 years ago. And so 2,000 years ago, we find in Scripture the inauguration, the birth of the church. What we experience today, what we are a part of today is the local church. It, found, it finds its roots 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has been uh, uh, crucified on a cross. He's been buried in a tomb, a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he wrote, rose from the dead. He is sins to heaven, and people saw this happen. Now, out of that, 120 charter members emerged. People, 120 people who said, you know what? I'm in with Jesus. Put me on team Jesus. I believe the whole thing. I want him to save me. I give my life to him as Savior and Lord. I'll follow him for the rest of my life. And so that was the early church. Now, Jesus told them, he said, listen, guys, stay in Jerusalem because I'm going to heaven, but I got to go so the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit came. And, and fell on these, these people, and the church was birthed at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And, and so what a great way to start Missions Emphasis Month with three baptisms here just a few minutes ago. Uh, you see, 2,000 years, this thing's still been going on. Now, there's a reason for that. The reason is because it's built upon Jesus. This is not my church. It's not your church. It's not our church. This church is Jesus' church. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He's still building his church. Every time a single person has new spiritual birth, they're born again. Every time they get a new birth, uh, God, uh, Jesus is building his church. He's adding membership to his forever family. And that's what the church is all about. Now, if we're not careful, we get comfortable in our own salvation, in our own uh, 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 joy of knowing that we're heaven bound and we're part of God's eternal family. But meanwhile, there's a whole world out there that has not heard the good news gospel of Jesus Christ yet. And that's our job. Uh, look at the person next to you and say, I think he's talking to you again. Yeah, I'm talking to you again. It's not just the preacher's job. It's not the, just the church corporate's job. It's every person who makes up the composition of the church body. If you are born again, if you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you are on mission. Now, what that looks like is different for all of us because God has gifted us all differently. 
God has called us all differently. God has appointed different challenges in parts of our life differently than other people. But it all goes back to Matthew chapter 28, what we call and know as the Great Commission, one of the last things that Jesus told his followers. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so he says, I own the whole thing. It's all mine. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, he says, because, because now you know who I am. I am Jesus. I am God in the flesh. I'm the Savior of the world. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I got your back. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is the bookends of the Great Commission. I don't think I've ever said that in my life because quite honestly, I never really noticed it that way. The Great Commission has Jesus on both sides of it. He says, all authority has been given to me. I got a job for you and I'm gonna be with you to the ends of the earth. So the mission uh, mentality for the church is sandwiched in between Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so 2,000 years ago, apparently, the, the first church, this, this charter membership, they got, it, they got some things right. Why? How do I know that? Because 2,000 years later, you're here. You see, you are a direct descendant of the early church mission. That's how big missions is. We're here, and those of us who are believers are heaven-bound eternally because they got that right. Because they transferred the good gospel, the message of Jesus Christ to their world, who communicated it to their world, who communicated it to their world, who ultimately communicated it to our world, who ultimately communicated it to me and to you. We're a product of missions. Now, knowing that, we should be motivated. We're like, man, I never thought of it that way. I'm going to heaven because of somebody took the mission seriously. And it's our job to move that mission forward into the next world. So these people were just average people. That's what's good about it. 120 folks, just average, cut of the normal cloth people, weren't sophisticated, weren't necessarily educated, hadn't been to seminary because they didn't have them, hadn't been to a motivational seminar that didn't do them, okay? Hadn't watched a, a podcast, didn't have it. These guys, these people, these men, these women simply met Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew that Jesus had died on a cross for their sin. They knew that Jesus was buried but rose from the dead on the third day. They knew that the Holy Spirit came and landed on them. They knew that Jesus had a call and a commission and a command and a challenge for them. And they took it seriously and they stepped in, they jumped into the deep end of the pool. And it's no different than us. I want you to know today, Jesus having all authority, Jesus being with you to the ends of the earth means you can jump in the deep end of the pool. You don't have to have all the answers for missions. You don't have to have all the answers for your witness. You don't have to have all the answers about the Bible. But you do need to share the story of Jesus with your world and the bigger world. That's our, that's our job. And that's why we have Missions Emphasis Month. That's why when you walked through the lobby today, you saw this really amazing thing on the wall that's backlit out there, shows a picture of the world to keep us mission-minded. It's why when you walked through the lobby, you saw tables and banners uh, representing nations around the world and ministries in our own neighborhood because we want to be missionally engaged in our backyard and in somebody else's backyard around the world. And that's what we're going to do. And we, we want you to know every single one of you can participate 
at some level. And we challenge you and we want you to dive in and, and let the Holy Spirit encourage your heart of what ministry or ministries locally and around the world he wants you to participate in. And you will be blessed when you do that. Now the early church, they got it. They just jumped in the deep end. They didn't have all the answers. And God blessed it. You see, God blesses our obedience. He tells us what to do. He steps back and he says, watch, I'm going to watch, see what you do. And if we do it, he goes, oh, look at that. And he blesses it. And because they took it seriously, 120 people, 2,000 years later, he, as I said in the baptistry, there's over 2 billion people who profess Christianity today. And through the 2,000 years, literally billions of people have followed Jesus and now have an eternal home called heaven. But there's still people out there who haven't heard the story. And they need to hear it. And that's our job, both here and around the world. Jesus said he's going to build his church, and so he's building his church. And I'm just amazed that he chooses to let us participate. Isn't that cool? That the most significant thing in all of history, it's not the creation of the globe. It's not, you know, putting, you know, a, a rocket ship in outer space. It's Jesus dying on a cross to rescue people like us so he can, from our sinful condition so he can spend eternity with us forever. That is the most amazing thing that's ever happened on this planet. And now he wants to include you in taking that story out there and around the world to the world that hasn't heard it yet. And it's, in, it's, it's vitally important that we as a church maintain and develop a real healthy foundation. Because if we're on mission, meaning we're sharing the love story of God to our neighborhoods and to the world, <clears throat> it needs to be built on a solid foundation. It needs to be um, built on the truth of God's word. We need to do things like God has designed us to do them when it comes to the church. Because if we don't, it ultimately will fail. Now, we all know churches that have started out well. They've came out of the chute real strong. <clears throat> but before they, it was complete, before their journey was complete, it faded. Maybe you've seen big churches that once held five, 6,000 people in these enormous auditoriums, and now they've put petitions in there to close it in because they're down to 1,000. You say, that's a lot of people. Not when, it, when the, in the glory days it was 6,000. Maybe you drove by churches to get to this church today. In fact, you almost had to. You probably drove by three or four. And maybe you've seen churches that on Sunday morning, when you're driving to church, it's lights out at that church. There's no one in the parking lot. You go by during the week, there's nothing happening at that church. It's a dead church. And that's a reality because the enemy comes in. He hates the church. The enemy hates you being part of the church. And so his goal is to destroy you and to wipe out the church because he knows the church is still, listen to me, the instrument that God has chosen to share his story with the world. That's it. The church is the instrument that God has developed and chosen to share his story with with the world, I want you to be aware of some statistics. There are approximately 86 Protestant churches that close every single week in America alone. That is 4,472 churches that close each year. Now here's the sad part of that stat. That was 2019. We have since gone through the GOM called the pandemic. 
And now all over the world, this number is estimated to be much larger. It's estimated that this year alone, there will be 6,000 Protestant churches. Protestant, that's who we are. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of God, Assembly of God. Protestant churches. There will be 6,000 of them in America this year will close their door for the last time and walk away. That's sad. Now you say, well, but we're planting churches, and we are. We will plant Protestant churches this year in America, about 3,000 churches. That still leaves a deficit of about 3,000 churches less than there were last year. Now, the reason is because the world is changing. It's why our mission uh, endeavors are so important. It's why Missions Emphasis Month is, is our heartbeat. It's so important to us because this is not the world that we were raised in. 1972, the world that I was raised in, And if you were raised in a 1972 world, it was a good world. It was a good world. That's not the world we live in now. In 1972, 92% of America identified as Christian. If you weren't a Christian, you didn't go to church in the 70s, you were a little bit odd. But in today's world, the world that my grandchildren are being raised in, that number has declined to 64% of America who identify as Christian. It's a different world. It's a different world. Why? They're confused, disenchanted with the church, selfish, backslidden, hurt from previous church experiences. As the number of, non, of people not identifying as Christianity gets bigger, their influence grows with it. And so people begin to leave and walk away and refuse to experience the church. And that's why we're on mission. And that's why it's important that you understand that you carry within you as a born-again believer in Jesus the hope for the world. It's in you. It's in you. And Jesus, who has all authority, and Jesus, who has your back, seen in the Great Commission, says, I want you to do this, and I'll be with you. You are not alone. So whether it's a village across the ocean who has no church presence at all, or a country where churches are closing and are found on every street corner in every major city, the message is still, the message still needs to be heard. The mission of God is still real, it's still alive, and we're still called to be engaged in it. And we're not alone. So the expansion of the church, I want you to understand something. Some, sometimes the reason that we don't engage in missions is because, as we said last week, we're afraid. We don't have all the answers. Well, the early church of 120, they didn't have any of the answers, okay? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. They, they, did not only have, they didn't have not only all of them, they had none of them, and yet they jumped in the deep end of the pool. Now, because they understood something, listen to me. The mission of God is a heavenly work. We've seen in Acts 2 alone, listen to the heavenly side of the mission's equation. In Acts 2, we have seen that Jesus came from heaven, it says that. According to God, the Father's predetermined plan. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus finished the work required for salvation. Jesus chose and discipled apostles to carry the good news. Jesus gave specific orders to the apostles to wait and receive the Holy Spirit and to be his witnesses. Jesus ascended to heaven. Jesus is the king of the universe who is seated beside God the Father. God made Jesus to be Lord and Christ. The Holy Spirit came in fullness. The Lord grew his church. It is a heavenly work. This thing is the work, the handiwork, the fingerprints of God. 
And so for us to get involved in something of that magnitude should stoke the fire of our soul. It should invite us and we should be encouraged and excited at some level, no matter what level it is, to be involved in the greatest work in the history of the world. That's what the mission is all about. Now, it's a heavenly work, but God does, he chose not to do it alone. God chooses to use us. In Acts chapter 2, this is what we've seen. It's not only a heavenly work, it's a human work. It has, human, uh, has a human uh, flavor or touch to it. The apostles had to receive the message of Jesus. Peter had to preach the message of Jesus. The people listened to the preaching. The people were convicted from the preaching. The people responded to the Holy Spirit. The people repented. The people were baptized. The people received the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people joined the Lord's family on one day. It's a heavenly work and it's a human work at the same time. But do not be confused. God's part is much bigger than your part. And here's the good news about it. You can't really mess it up. I used to be afraid I was going to mess it up. I was going to say something that maybe was a little bit wrong. If, if you think your foolishness is bitter, bigger than the greatness of the Holy Spirit's work, you've lost your mind. You see, we're just called to be obedient and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And he'll trump every mistake you could ever make. You have nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because all authority was given to Jesus and he is with you to the ends of the earth. Okay? And then he tells us, the Holy Spirit tells us, Acts 1.8, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come so that you will be witnesses to Jerusalem, to your hometown, to Judea, the next towns over, to Samaria, the people you ain't real crazy about, and to the ends of the world, okay? It's good stuff, and he wants us to be a part of it. Now, the church, at the end of the day, is a God thing and not a man thing. We get that confused sometimes. We think it's our church. We get to make a lot of great decisions because it's my church and my church. No, it's God's church. It's a God thing. He started it. He'll take it home one day and it'll be finished. It's a God thing. We should be excited about church. I want you to, I want you to know, you should be excited. I, I'm excited about church. You can probably tell it. He's on crack. You know, he's on church crack. That's what he's on. Okay, I am. I love the church. I, I, I love the church. I have loved the church for a long, long time. I love getting to pastor and lead a church. I love, I love every, most every part of what I do. Yesterday, last night, I married a young couple. They're here this morning. Isn't that a good way to start your relationship, your marriage, the church on Sunday morning? Man, I'm so proud of them. I love doing weddings, okay? I love doing weddings. I'm, I, we've got four more coming up, okay? I love it. I love doing funerals. Not I'm a gene. She ain't going to go for a long time. Not yours. Somebody else's. Just so they'll tell you that. Uh, and one day, when she, if she goes home for I do, I love doing her funeral because she's preached her funeral with, with her life. Okay, I love that part of it. I went over to the hospital to see Howard Jenkins just the other day, and, and he's, had a, he's been through a, a world of mess. I, I, I love visiting in the hospital. I love, I love baptizing. I love the church. I love all the aspects of the church. I love people's light, lives moving from darkness to light. And listen to me, that is the mission heart of God. He wants every single child of his adopted into his forever kingdom to have a mission mindset that sees every person in the world as a potential candidate for the love story of Jesus Christ to save and change their eternal destiny. Isn't that good? That's what he wants to do. David 
King David got it right. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I like one of the things, another part of being a pastor and being part of the church I like, I like entry greeting and exit greeting. I just like saying, hey, y'all, glad y'all are here. Hey, I'm glad, because I'm, I'm stoked that you're here. I love it when you're here. I'm aggravated when you're not, but I don't say anything, okay? But one, one of the things I like about entry greeting is parents who are bringing their little boys and girls to church. And the little boys and girls are coming to church, man, they just skipping in. they skipping in, carrying their Bibles, grinning. I mean, they're ready for church, and their parents right behind them. <laughs> like, it's all we could do to get here, man. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. That childlike faith, man, they, they, they get it. They understand that there's something bigger here than just a bunch of folks sitting next to each other drinking cold brew, Okay. There's more to it than that, and we're going to talk about that today. It's the mission of God. David also said in Psalm 27, 4, I have asked the Lord for one thing. This was his heart. He says, this is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so I can just gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in his temple. He said, man, I cannot get enough of coming together in the Lord's house just to, just to, be, just to soak it up and enjoy and be amazed at, at the presence of God in his temple. And so, as a church, we have to do things well here first. For us to be great missionaries abroad, we must first be good missionaries here. And that's individually and also as a church because whether we're sharing the gospel with somebody and we're discipling them and helping them understand how to walk the Christian journey or if we're building a church, planting a church, building a church uh, around the world somewhere, we need to be sure that we're on the right page and we have the right foundational stones that we're building upon so that we don't transfer something wrong or bad or unbiblical, right? So how do we know? We just go back and look at the first one. We look at the very first church, the foundational stones that the Holy Spirit cut uh, for them to build the church on. And it was a good foundation. How do I know? Because you're here 2,000 years later. Isn't that good? I know it's good. Amen, brother. I'll just amen myself. It's good. So the title of, the, that's just the intro. The title of the message on the back of your life guide is the Awakened Missional Church. The Awakened Missional Church. Now, if you just now turned your life guide over, you just thought we're skipping lunch. Because there's 12 points on there, okay? We won't finish them all, but we're going to finish some. So we're going to start with number one. The, the, the Awakened, we saw it, the Awakening. That was the first part of chapter two. Now the Awakened Missional Church, what does it look like? What are the characteristics What's its nature, number one? It's a devoted church. It was a devoted church. It says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Listen, they, they were at a place in their life where they were given to a greater cause. There was something bigger than what they knew. They understood that the world that they lived in could offer them political support and power, they understood that the world around them, the land, could offer them prosperity and abundance and yield and profits. But they knew that this was bigger. 
They knew that there was something coming out of the mouths of those apostles that they had never heard before. And it was something that began to turn the gears in their soul. And it was bigger than anything they had ever known. And so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They, at the end of the day, they weighed out all of the information and all of the opportunities and all the inputs, uh, inputs that could potentially come into their mind. And they said, I'm going to be devoted to the one who preaches the word of God because that is where I find truth. That is where I find hope. That is where I find life. That is what I'm going to tether and anchor my life to. So they were devoted to preaching and teaching. They were devoted to doctrine. Now, here's the interesting thing. What were the apostles teaching? Well, of course, they were, list, they were reading some commentaries from previous preachers. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, they were listening to sermons from some other guys. That's what I do. Did you know that? I've confessed it. Okay, I listen to preach. I love preaching. I listen to preachers from all around the world. I read commentaries from people uh, who have been doing this for much longer than I have. Most of them are older than me. I like listening to an old guy that's 85 years old, been doing it for 60 years, and he hadn't messed it all up. That's the guy I like listening to, okay? The David Jeremiah's and the Chuck Swindalls and the Adrian Rogerses of the world. I like, listen, and I like to listen to young guys, too, just so I don't sound like I'm 85 years old when I get up here to preach, all right? But they didn't have commentaries. They didn't have a podcast. They didn't have a sermon YouTube archive, okay? They had nothing and they jumped in the deep in the deep end of the pool. What did they have? They had the Old Testament. Now they got that. So, so, so they're talking about the Old Testament. Listen, they had what Jesus had taught them. Now Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected, ascended. They had what he had taught them. He, they had that in their, in their portfolio. Okay. Uh, you know what they had? You know what they taught? You know what they preached? They preached what they knew. You know what God calls you to be, to have in your bag to share with the world what you know to be true. He doesn't expect you to share something you don't know. But for crying out loud, if you know something about God, if you know that Jesus died on a cross, rose on the third day, uh, sent his Holy Spirit, invited you into his forever family, you repented, you gave yourself to Jesus, received his grace gift, and now you're heaven bound, you know that. That's all you got to tell and when people start asking questions, you just look at them and go, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I can tell you this. You just tell them again. Just tell them what you know. That's what the apostles did. Now, how would they know what to speak? You see, they didn't have the New Testament. They, they are writing the New Testament. So they didn't have that to draw from. They had the same thing you and I have. The power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus said... In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. That's the key. And if you're born again, if you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit in you. He's in there, man. He's chomping it to bit. Just, you just clip the strings and let him out. Just let him run wild in your life and use you in a powerful way. In John 14, 26, Jesus told his disciples this. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I said to you. Uh, I've been on, in, uh, in uh, witnessing to people before in an awkward situation. And I'm, I, listen, I'm the preacher. I get scared too. Sitting on an airplane, the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, ask them, ask them if they know me. I don't really want to. 
it's a long plane ride. Yeah. And plus, he's 400 pounds and he's all over my seat. I don't like him. Yeah. I've got every reason. I'm just like you, okay? And so he, just tell him. So I, hey, uh, you know, uh, where are you headed? And start up a conversation, ultimately. Ask them if they know Jesus, you know. And all of a sudden, I'll, I'll quote a scripture I didn't even know I'd ever read before. But I know it's scripture. I had read it before. I sure didn't know I knew it. And he'll give me a scripture and it'll just come out. Bloop, there it is. And I'm like, yeah. You know, I, the Holy Spirit does that. I'm telling you, he does that. But he will never do it if you don't let him loose. He will never do it if you never attempt to be the witness that he empowers you to be. God is a missional God and he wants you to be in the mission of God. Now, so they don't have the New Testament. They're writing the New Testament. And, and so today we have this whole book. We've got the Old Testament. You can use that. We've got the Gospels. You can use that. We've got the, all the New Testament, canonized scripture, closed and finished and complete. We all have that. And we all need to be devoted to teaching and preaching of the word. We need to be devoted to the word of God. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3, we read every scripture is inspired by God. It is the breath of God, the theonoustos. Useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That the person, that the person dedicated to God, not for anybody. Many of us will never experience the power of this. But it says, so that the person who is dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So the, the apostles were teaching the word and the church was devoted to the word and it's not always easy it's not always palatable and we live in a world that wants to modify it to make it more presentable and palatable we don't have to modify it the holy spirit modified it when he gave it and inspired it all we have to do is know it and share it there are people from time to time who leave the church because they would rather believe a lie there are people sometimes who leave the church because the truth is simply too hard to be, to abide, to, for them to abide by it. The truth is a hard thing for all of us. It's a hard thing for me sometimes. The truth is just the truth in a world of darkness and lies. It's difficult sometimes when the world is looking at life from a whole different vantage point. So the awakened church was devoted to the preaching of the word. Spin that forward 2,000 years. And I made a list of things that we're devoted to. We live in a world that's devoted to propaganda about the political environment. We live in a world that's devoted to the woke and entitled agendas that are just smothering our nation. We live in a world that's devoted to the details about every sport, every team, every team player, every coach their health, their stats, their contribution to the world of sports. We live in a world that's devoted to opportunities and avenues to achieve success, fame, and prosperity. We live in a world that's devoted to every cataclysmic disaster on the horizon in our deteriorating atmosphere. We live in a world that's devoted to every conspiracy theory that hits the airwaves. We live in a world that's devoted to a daily assessment of Instagram followers and Facebook likes. And meanwhile, the word of God that the early church was devoted to is in the dust on the nightstand or under the seat of the SUV or buried in our assorted apps on our phone. 
And in that book, in this book of truth, we find not only all the information we need to know about the fallen condition of our world, but we also find out the source of redemption for it. And that's why the early church was so excited. I mean, they got it. They're like, I see all that junk out there, but I got this. And it's real and it's true and I know it. It has re-entered my soul. It has rocked my eternal destiny. And I can't, do, I can't live unless I tell somebody about it. We need to get back to that. Where we care about the lost world enough to tell them that there's hope. And the hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. That's it. And that's why we're missional. That's why we're missional here in the church, missional here in our neighborhood, in our city, missional around the world. So scripture weighs in about it, about the word of God, its value. Isaiah 40, Isaiah says this, a voice says, cry out. And another voice says, what should I cry out? The first voice responds, all people are like grass and all their promises are like the flowers in the field and the grass dries up and the flowers wither. And when the wind sent by the Lord blows on them, surely humanity is all like grass. The grass dries up, the flowers wither. And here, here it is. But the decree or the word of God is forever reliable. The awakened missional church is, is devoted to the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Number two, the missional the awakened missional church is a dedicated church. It's dedicated to other believers in fellowship. The missional church values relationship with others. Now, the word in the Bible that you would read, you read it here in Acts chapter 2, is fellowship. But it's unfortunate, it's not a great word. You see, fellowship can include a cup of cold brew with a friend, uh, a covered dish supper, okay, a, uh, uh, a game night, uh, going out to dinner, and those are all great, and they can be part of what, it is, is it, what is intended here. But in the word, the word is koinonia. It's a Greek word, koinonia. It is a deep sharing of things in common, mutual interest. There isn't even a good word for it. It is, it is something that's beyond anything that we understand. It is a commonality found in Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. You can have fellowship with someone who doesn't know Jesus, but you cannot have koinonia with someone who doesn't know Jesus. You can have friendship with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you should. You cannot have, uh, you cannot have that same, uh, that uh, koinonia with that person, okay? It's a different word. It's a fellowship. It's a common interest an intimate connection with others who are on a like or similar spiritual pilgrimage. Now, how do we do that? We do it through groups. You can come here. We have, we have a lot of people, Timbo services. We have a lot of people coming to church here. And it's great. And I'm so glad you're here. But for you to experience true koinonia, an intimate relationship with others of common spiritual interest, you need to be in a group. Everybody in here needs to be in a group. And we've got a lot of groups, and, we, and a lot of them are full. And so be patient. We're trying to start some new ones. One of the highlights of my week and Kendra's week is group. On Sunday nights, we have a, we have a young married group. Uh, we have about 30 of us. And, man, it's, it, we eat together. Everybody likes that. We, 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 we have a lesson together, have a good time. We laugh and talk, have a good time. And between sessions, 
we go do something fun. We went to Top Golf a couple weeks ago. I would encourage everybody in here to go. I'm a gene. You need to go to Top Golf. You don't have to have. You don't need to have uh, any 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 particular sports skill set. If you don't believe me, come to the next thing we do with our group at Top Golf. We had people holding their club backwards, swinging left hand, swinging left handed on the right handed side. We had people that were doing a dancing a jig, trying to hit the ball. It's beautiful. It's good for laughs. That's what a group does. We come together, we laugh, we have fun. Why? Because in koinonia, koinonia says, listen, listen, you don't have to do this life alone. You got Jesus, I got Jesus, we're together in this thing, and your battle and your struggle is the same that I, we've all got battles and struggles, and we aren't supposed to walk through it alone. And so we want to encourage you to be in a group. How do you get connected to a group start by just putting it on your connection card well I've done that before well we're sorry do it again just put your name on there your information and we'll try to find you a group and and you got to be patient with us I'm telling you our groups are filling up and maybe you've been a part of a great group in the past come see us come see Robbie we'll start you can start a new group okay we want you to be in a group because that is where koinonia is found so they were devoted to preaching and teaching of God's word. They were dedicated to fellowship or koinonia or each other, okay? Number three, they were a remembering church. It goes on, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, this sounds like this could be eating dinner together, but it's probably not because that comes up a little later. We'll see that next time. So they were in a place where they looked at each other and said, I don't want to ever forget I don't want to ever forget that the reason this is happening and the reason that we're in God's family and the reason I have hope and the reason I have a new life and the reason I've been set free from the baggage of my sinful condition in the past and the reason I've been challenged with the mission of God to the world and the reason I have the Holy Spirit in my life it's because Jesus gave his blood and his body to pay my sin debt. They took communion together. Now, we as a church, we, we, we help you with that. We love communion. Some churches take communion every single Sunday. Nothing wrong with that. Other churches, however, fail to take communion at all. So when do we take communion? We take communion on every month that has a fifth Sunday. That's four times a year. We take communion at Christmas. We take communion at Easter. And we take communion occasionally at other times. So six to ten times a year we take communion. We try to make it very simple. We try, to, we try to engage you and let you have skin in the game. I want you to know when we have communion, communion is for a believer. If you're not a believer, if you're not born again, don't take communion because communion is remembering this doing remembrance of me. And if you're not saved, you ain't got nothing to remember, okay? So it's for saved people. What we do is we have our deacons come down here and they wear uh, sanitary gloves and they pass you the bread and give you the cup and we give you good instructions and, and it's great and it's beautiful. We have an opportunity to pray. We watch a video. We sing a song. We read the scripture. We take communion together. It's not always that simple. I remember about 12 years ago, I took some senior high school students to The Walk, which is at Severe Heights, a great college service, and they were going to have communion. It was really cool, and they had these stations set up. Now, in fairness, the instructions were good if you were raised in a church, but if you weren't raised in a church, the instructions may have been a little vague. So basically, they said, what we want you to do is pray, get your heart cleansed, and, and get your heart right with God, find you a station, take and tear off a little piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and take communion. Now, I was raised in church. I wasn't raised in, like that, but, but I can do that. 
So I go over, I pray, and I go over and get in line. And they have a real big presence of Tennessee football players. So I'm behind what appeared to be maybe a lineman, okay? He's about 6'4", weighed about 325 pounds, okay? He tore off a piece of bread, big as a Big Mac. And it's that bread that you chew on, it gets bigger the more you chew it. And he's chewing that bread, and I, I mean, I, can't, I can barely see the table because he's in front of me, but I can see his big old jaws just working, man. He, and finally, he looked around at me, and I just went, you know. And then he looked around, and they had a big old cup of juice right there. He picked that big old cup up and chug a lug, buddy. He had enough communion to laugh two people's lifetimes, okay? Now it's my turn. Now, you may have been raised in a Catholic church where somebody drinks of the cup and then the priest wipes it off and then they give you the cup. There's still some stuff down in that cup. And so now it's my turn. And the little girl that was attending, she's standing there. She looked at me and I just went to another table. Now, they didn't even know what had just transpired, so they, everything was fine. Now, we try to make it much easier than that. And we should take communion. And it is a serious thing. And I was trying to make it serious then. It was very serious. I I thought he was going to choke, all right? We should take communion because we should remember. And here's the key. Never forget the gift that God has given you through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ on a cross to pay your sin debt and rescue from your eternal destiny, which was originally called hell and moved you to a new place where you're headed to heaven. Never forget that. It ought to be the highlight of your life when you found that out and you received that truth in your life. So it's devoted, it's dedicated, it's, it's a remembering church. And next, it's a prayerful church. It's a prayerful church. That's why they were devoted to prayer. This is the, these are foundational stones. This is who we need to be for God to maximize what he does through us because he's going to build his church. And he'll do it with us or he'll do it without us, but he's going to do it. And I want him to include us prayer. The Awakened Missional Church was committed to prayer. Prayer for self, prayer for others, prayer for the church, prayer for the mission of the world. And I have a confession. It's one of the most difficult disciplines, Christian disciplines in my life. I pray all the time. I pray a lot, but I feel like a failure. And I know most of it or much of it comes from the devil who just keeps whispering heaven. Prayer. He's not listening to those prayers. You're not praying. Your heart's not even right. You're so distracted. You know, it's what the devil tells me. I know he doesn't tell you that because he's too busy telling me. He ain't got time for you, okay? And so it's a weakness of mine. No matter how well I think I'm praying, no matter how devoted or disciplined or committed to prayer that I am, I always feel like I come up short. And I don't know, maybe you don't feel that way, but I do sometimes. But I want you to know that we're committed to prayer. I'm committed to prayer, and this church is committed to prayer. How? We have a prayer hotline. Every week, almost every day, isn't it, Clark? Sometimes multiple times each day, somebody will send us a message. Hey, will you pray for this person? This is what's going on. Clark will shoot it out. I'll shoot it out to the deacons, and people begin to pray. I suspect now there's over 150 people. If you've got a need in your life, and you do sometimes have needs, We're all human beings walking around in a broken world. And sometimes we lose our jobs. Sometimes we have a relationship that's in a struggle. Sometimes we have wayward children. Sometimes we have sickness and bad bad, diagnosis. Sometimes we have a mother or father who's losing their minds. All of us have stuff in our life. And let me tell you, you're not in it alone. And you need to reach out and let the church know and we'll pray for you. We'll come alongside you and lift you up. That's why I mentioned to pray for Jeremy. Pray, 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 pray. We are supposed to be a praying church. The hotline is for that. 
Number two, each week we open up this altar with a final song of worship. And we have pads right here on the floor. So you don't have to kneel on this concrete. And there's weeks when you have stuff in your life that just feels overwhelming. I know it's true. I have those. And it's a burden that just seems to be weighing you down. You can't be free. You can't be liberated. You can't, you can't enjoy life because this thing is on you. We open up the altar so you can come and pray. Now listen to me. You can pray right where you are at. You can pray in your bed. You can pray in your car. You can pray on your job, at school. You pray wherever you want to. But I truly believe there is something powerful about walking to the front of an auditorium like this, in front of our peers and in front of God and in front of, our, uh, in front of the devil that says, I can't do this on my own. I'm willing to come down here and pray. And you know what will probably happen? Somebody will probably come and just lay a light hand on you. And they may not know what your prayer need is. They just want you to know you're not alone. They're going to pray for you too. We want you to know that. But it doesn't stop there. We're a praying church. Each year in January, I've written a 21-day prayer and fasting guide. And the last few years, oh, you ought to do this for 365 days. That would be great. Yeah, why don't you do it? Okay. So this year, Tyler has put together a 365-day prayer and fasting journal. Okay, it's pretty cool. And so we'll have that out in January. We'll probably have the 21-day version, okay? But we'll have a 365-day prayer uh, devotional for you, for our church. Because we are to be people of prayer and we want to help you learn and develop your prayer life. Number five, not only is it devoted, dedicated, remembering, and praying, the awakened missional church was an awestruck church. Reverential awe, verse 43 of chapter 2 of Acts. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. The awakened missional church, they were just amazed at what God was doing in the church. I'm amazed. Most of you, the vast majority of you, don't know what was going on nine years ago when there were 40 or 50 people wondering what was going to be next in the life of this church. And then we look around, and every week or two, we're baptizing people, and people are joining, and people are visiting, and people are coming, and kids are coming back here, and everybody, people having babies, and they're throwing them around, and it's just, it's, a, it's just a strange thing, okay? It's the handiwork, the fingerprints of God, awestruckness. And, and I don't want you to, be, <clears throat> to grow weary I don't want you to be, to, to be complacent about what all God is doing in the life of his church. Every church, God doesn't do great things all the time in every church, but he's doing great things in this one. Don't miss a minute of it. Now, it says that they were awestruck. That word is phobos, which we get our word phobia. It doesn't mean they were fearful. It just means they were set back on their heels at the handiwork of God and the miracles of the Apostles. Now, listen, we've talked about the gift of miracles. Listen to me. These miracles are unique, specific to the apostles. It authenticated their ministry and their calling. It authenticated their message that God was in the middle of it. I mean, he did supernatural miracles. We'll see in the coming chapters of the book of Acts. But I want you to know, listen, just because those unusual miracles don't happen today, God is still a miracle-working 
God. He still does amazing things every day in our lives. And we pray believing. We pray with childlike faith. We we pray knowing that God is capable of doing anything he chooses to do. We pray expecting miracles to happen. And listen, miracles happen all the time. But I want you to know the reason this is important is because this is tucked away in the mission's message in the missions challenge in the launch of the early church and here it is the greatest by far miracle you will ever experience personally you will ever help somebody else experience is not hearing to deaf ears walking to lame feet speech to a mooted tongue that's not the greatest miracle you'll ever experience or help somebody else experience are you ready for what it is eternal life found in the salvation through Jesus Christ, the greatest miracle that can ever happen. Why and how is that the greatest? Because all of those other things are temporary miracles. Eternal life, when a soul is awakened for eternity, when a person's eternal address is changed from hell to heaven, that's a miracle. And you and I, as people who have been born again, saved, adopted into the kingdom and the family of God, we are literally walking miracles. We may not feel that way sometimes, but I'm telling you, the miracle working power of God is alive in every believer. And so they were people of awe. And finally, they were a generous church. Yeah. You figured I'd get to money sometime, didn't you? I still get that. Yeah, I came over there. A preacher talks about money. I talk about money when it's in Scripture. Unfortunately, for those who don't like that, it's in Scripture a lot. So here's what it says. All who believed were together. They hold everything, held everything in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Sounds like the gospel according to Bernie Sanders. Where you give everything to everybody until nobody has anything. Okay? That's not, this is not socialism. This is not socialism. It's not. There's no mandatory giving. You don't have to give anything. Okay? I pray that you would because you walk in the blessing of generosity. But you don't have to give anything. Free to come here. Okay? You don't have to do anything for missions. That's your choice. Okay? This says the early church... They were all in. And they had this relationship, this fellowship, this koinonia, this thing that said, man, we're looking around. And, and if there's somebody has got need, I'm in. I'll sell, I'll sell something. I'm helping that family. This church said, you know what? We've got to send people around the world. And that doesn't happen for free. Ministry costs a lot of money. Investing in our preschoolers and our children, investing in our students, our youth, investing in our college, investing in a place where we can come together corporately and worship and learn in this place called the church facility, okay? It does not happen for free. It happens when people get the mission mentality of God and they dive in and say, you know what? I'm gonna be generous. Why? Because God gave me his son in exchange for my sin. How could I not be found generous? Everybody has an obligation. This is, this is not a license for people to do nothing and have develop some entitlement mentality. That's foolishness and it is not biblical. How do I know? 
because the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when, we were the, we're, even when we were with you, we used to give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if someone does not provide for his own, especially his own family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Matthew 6.24, Jesus addressed generosity And he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's Missions Emphasis Month. And if we're going to continue to do this well and even do it better than we have, we need to align ourselves with the first church that knocked it out of the park. The church that did it so well that 2,000 years later, you and I heard the gospel message and are born again and have eternal hope. And so we've covered six of those characteristics. So let's just pretend we were taking a test today. And on a scale of one to ten, one being poorly, ten being perfectly, how would you rate yourself in these? Are you devoted to the teaching of the Word of God? Are you dedicated to the fellowship of the church family are you remembering well what Jesus has done for you do you pray daily are you awestruck about what God is doing in your life and in the life of his church here and around the world and are you generous with everything that God has graciously and generously given you I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes I don't want you to evaluate those questions in the flesh. I want you to simply ask the Holy Spirit who lives within you, help me understand truly where I am in those areas. Because this church is only as good as the people who make up this church. And every person should try to align with these characteristics that we see in the early church, myself included. I'm not exempt. But I want you to know today that if you're here and you've never, you've never received Jesus into your life for salvation and you wonder, I've heard these things, but I don't know. It all begins when you simply surrender to the invitation of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's not from me, but when the Holy Spirit reaches into your soul and says, hey, I love you right where you are, but I want to take you somewhere different. I want to take you on an adventure I want to take you into a world where life is truly found and that life extends into all of eternity. And you simply say, I hear you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I repent and change directions. I want to follow you from this day forward. Save me today and give me your Holy Spirit. That's where it all begins. Sometimes all of us just need to think back at that moment so we can move forward and do things right. Lord, we thank you for loving us all the time. We thank you for your patience and your graciousness. We thank you for everything you do for us. God, so often we fail to reciprocate. We fail to demonstrate to you how much we love you and appreciate what you've done for us. So God, on this day, help us drive a stake in the ground that says moving forward, I want to be the Christian that you want me to be. 
so that our church will be more of what you want the church to be, both here and around the world. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.